The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at you, Kramer. Can everything go up at the same time like last week? Short answer, no, because that would be insane. When every asset goes up at once, my antennae go up with them. Too often, I've seen these fabulous moments of oh, beautiful action turn into a tsunami of trouble. So even while we're inching toward what's usually the strongest period of the year, you got to understand why last week's across-the-board bullishness can't possibly have that much staying power. Short term, though, well, the 90 just... It persists. Just look at today. It was a seemingly sedate session, right? Dow dipped 36 points, but one point was down more than 200 points. SME advanced 0.34%. The Nasdaq gained 0.84%. Wow! Yet under the surface, we had tons of contradictory action. It really doesn't make sense when you step away from the stock market, at least. Let me give you the play-by-play because I think it's instructive into what a lot of people feel is the lunacy of this moment. Now, you know I wake up unreasonably early, which is a lot better than not going to sleep at all, although I still do that somewhat regularly. Uh, there's a reason we didn't name the show Well-Adjusted Money. So this morning, oil's up, like almost always, right? There's a relentlessness to this move that makes it feel like a, a rally. No, not like a rally, more like an ordination. Because oil's being anointed as the chosen asset. This morning, the price of WTI crude nearly reached 84 bucks. That's much too high for my taste. Not just because it, it bizarrely traded below zero last year. The fact is that higher oil prices are a tax on the system. Uh, If you looked at it through a mad money prism, the oil stocks and their fellow travelers make up less than 10% of the S&P 500. When they're roaring, it causes nothing but trouble for the other 90%. Here's the issue, though. Despite the relentless price increases, oil's rise, it hasn't impacted the stocks of any of the big energy consumers. While it buoys the stocks of the energy 
producers. Think about this. The airlines, the travel and leisure stocks, they're doing fine. These groups, have, they have stocks that have been incredibly strong, especially, and this is really the kind of the hotels. In fact, if you overlay Marriott's chart over the chart of any oil stock, they appear almost identical over the last seven weeks. That makes no sense. Now, you can twist yourself into a pretzel coming up with reasons why both oil producers and oil consumers should rally at the same time. You could argue that COVID means people are so desperate to go out that they don't care about the price of gasoline or that cars have gotten more fuel efficient. I don't know. You want to throw an Uber? I mean, whatever. I, I get tired of creating excuses. But it's not just travel and leisure. Higher oil is inimical to the transports, including the airlines and the truckers. The industry is the ultimate energy user. Yet their stocks have been acting pretty well, too. Again, that shouldn't be happening. This is a zero-sum game. When oil wins, the transports lose. And oil is just the most visible conundrum. The inflation iceberg is here, and people are ignoring it. And I don't want to do that for too long. Hey, look, fortunately, there are signs that American oil companies have started breaking discipline and drilling more aggressively because they don't want to miss out on these uh, higher prices. Some of the independents are doing that. It's going to start happening. It needs to be contained. They got to do it. They need to contain the price because Iran, Iraq, Venezuela, Mexico tapped out. Saudis just brought Aramco public, gave it a high dividend, used up much of that cash flow that otherwise would have been spent on drilling. Well, the Russians are thrilled. They're making fortunes, but they're not going to flood the market either. They're not even flooding the natural gas market. If American drillers don't boost production, nobody else is going to come through. And oil could go much higher. Of course, oil, people are saying, what, 100 bucks? Uh, but at 100 bucks, then maybe it prices itself out and causes demand destruction because that would be the lose-lose that we're worried about. It would, it would mean that oil has strangled the whole economy. It hasn't happened yet. Obviously, we know that. It hasn't happened, but it could. Long story short, if you want the rest of the stock market to keep climbing, oil needs to stop going higher. Otherwise, we're toast. And I don't mean toast, that point-of-sale company that came public that everybody loved that I think is going lower. Now, a sane market goes higher in a stair-step fashion, with weak-handed speculators getting wrenched out of it at every stop along the way. But when you see Bitcoin, Bitcoin, let's talk about Bitcoin, okay? And it's now above 60000 What does that mean? It means everybody, almost everybody, except for the high last time, is doing fine. Yeah, cryptocurrencies, they become unstoppable. And even as someone who likes them, I think they've become the definition of rank speculation, and rank's bad. You could argue the roaring because people want insurance against inflation, but I think the roaring because the crypto ETF is launching tomorrow, and people went in ahead of time. If I'm right, then tomorrow very well could be the peak for crypto. And that's why I sold off one-eighth of my Ethereum position today. Obviously, I would sell it all if I had any confidence that it was the top, but I don't. It's been too big a win for me. I'm feeling greedy. That's never good. All right, if, if this uh, frothy crypto rally keeps going, I think it's going to put an expiration date on the rest of the market. This stuff can't keep climbing on the same inflation news for heaven's sake. Doesn't it start to feel like a greater fool theory to you, where you have to hope that someone more foolish takes you out of the trade at a higher level? Meanwhile, big tech's doing its thing, and that too seems unstoppable. Now, wait a second. I mean, earlier today, we heard that FANG, the diamond, the symbol for Dimeback Energy, is crushing FANG. That's our tech acronym. But the big run in Netflix off of Squid Game or Amazon off of the Amazon Web Services, remember that created interview last week, or Apple off its new products. Each of these moves reminds us that there's plenty of enthusiasm for FANG no matter what. Best example? Okay. Will you please look at the uncanny move in Facebook? I mean, hardly a day goes by without more shocking revelations about how Facebook's allegedly doing horrendous things to boost engagement. Although each new revelation is less shocking than the last because, well, we're getting used to shocks. 
maybe I think we're getting overshocks. I mean, look at how the stock grew today. In part because there's a lot of analysts chatter that business remains strong no matter what the press does. I mean, they could do a 50-part series about Facebook making it so that so, doing social negatives, and it wouldn't even matter for that stock. It just keeps going higher. How about housing? Well, Zillow stock got pulverized today, down 9%, because it's freezing its home flipping operations. That's just housing could be peaking. Yet the home builders have one of their biggest days in ages. It's so bizarre, it makes me nervous. You could argue that, Z- that Zillow's problems are 100% company-specific. But the best housing analyst in America sees real problems in the industry. More on that later. And then something's wrong. One of these has to be wrong. I just don't know which. I, I think probably the someone, though, if you had to ask me, would be the home buyer. Because interest rates have moved up of late, but not quite enough to tamp down on the home buying. And remember, the home buyer is doing so well, often because the stock market's up so much. Meanwhile, nearly everything that goes into a house is in short supply and getting more expensive, especially appliances. Put it all together, and you can have a run against housing, not just up, but down. So housing's getting eaten alive by inflation, we think. But then why are the highest growth tech stocks roaring too? High growth tech should be a house of pain when people are afraid of inflation. That has always been the case. They're supposed to be the weakest stocks in the book. Yet if you look at some of these charts, think ServiceNow, Snowflake, Salesforce, Affirm, Adobe, or Workday, it's as if those stocks have become unmoored from the conventional wisdom. Unless wage inflation has gotten so out of control that businesses desperately need their software to do more with less, particularly less highly paid employees. More on that later, too. I mean, look, maybe it's because they are um, they, they create more productivity. Look, I can go on and on about how you should worry when you see lots of things that aren't supposed to happen at the same time. Or I could try to accept this moment. Maybe we're just in some new Panglossian world where we can have our cake and eat it, too. Kind of like Twinkies. But the bottom line. That explanation does seem a little good to me. Sooner or later, something does have to give. We just don't know whether it's going to be oil going down or stocks going up. Something, in the end, has to change. Not everything can work at the same time. The past demonstrates that this moment cannot last forever. Let's go to Stephen in New York. Stephen. Yes. Hi, Jim. It's an honor to be speaking with you. Oh, I'm a you're big very kind. Very kind. Yeah, What's going on? Well, I've been an investor in Regeneron for three years, and I follow the company closely, listening regularly to the conference calls. They have FDA-approved market-leading therapeutics for treatments of eyes and skin, obesity, lung and cervical cancer, and so much more in their pipeline. Their COVID cocktail is saving thousands of lives among people infected with the virus and has proven to work prophylactically. What I find hard to understand is the stock has been on a downward turn since the end of summer, dropping from its highs in the 600s to about 540. Their PE is under 10, and everything I read or hear says their business is going to continue to grow even without the monoclonal COVID treatment. I know you've spoken about Regeneron and have characterized them among pharmaceutical companies as best of breed. Yes. Can you provide some insight on what's happening with Regeneron? Well, Stephen, I think if you look at all the healthcare stocks, they've all come. I mean, look at Bristol-Myers, which used to be, you know, great American growth company stock has been just mauled. Merck just got some good news about a pill for uh, COVID, and that stock's given up all its gains. I think Regeneron is a great long-term asset. I would not budge from it if I owned it. Looking to get longer, Lens Lifer's doing a great job. Right now, it's very out of favor, not Lens fault. Bob in Florida. Bob. Babuja, Jim. Bob Yo. from St. Pete, Florida, the uh, gateway to heaven. Well, how are you, true, Jim? But it also never rains here. I, I like that, too. I'm doing fine. How about you? <laughs> Not too good. I'm in a stock now that has been down. 
All right. 40 out of the last 55 trading days. Wow. I'm talking about a stock that has helped mankind worldwide coming out with earnings in two weeks. The stock is half of its high. I'm talking about Pfizer, PFE. All right. Can you give me your input, please? Well, no, get, I mean, we, we're speaking when we speak about healthcare. We recognize that the healthcare stocks have all been under pressure. I think Pfizer is going to be protected by that almost four percent yield. Call me a buyer, not a seller of Pfizer, because we're all going to need boosters, and they got them. All right. The conundrum that I have for this market right now is that everything can't go up at the same point. At some something does have to give. We can't just have this opposites not attracting. Oh, man, money tonight. You called in last week and you stumped me on a company called Accolade. So I'm turning in my homework on the company that's trying to personalize the healthcare space and sharing if it could be worth looking at. Curious. Then after the market exploded higher last week, what sector is worth looking at for some continued gains? Oh, I'm checking out one core at the continuous run towards the clouds. And then Deluxe, remember that deal, Deluxe check coming? It has transformed itself into the champion of small business. And after its nearly billion-dollar acquisition of First American, what could the future hold for the kingpin of checks? And why is its stock so low? I'm talking to the CEO. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1 800 743 CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. get dragged into the heart of earnings season. You know, next week averages more than 100 quarterly reports per day. We need to catch up on our homework. Last Friday, we got a call from a chatty amateur comedian, Luciano in Washington. At the end of his routine, he asked about accolade. 
ACCD. Now, this is a healthcare technology play that came public last year and is beloved by the analyst community because I didn't know much about it offhand. I said I had to get back to them. After doing some research, we're ready to circle back. We're trying to be proactive here about responding to these homework items quickly. When we get caught up, they tend to be some real good ones, and we end up being too late. So this is why we're going to focus on Accolade tonight, because it's a pretty darn interesting company. When it comes to this, this is called uh, Accolade's called Personalized Healthcare Tech. All right. Personalized healthcare tech companies help employers save money on benefits by giving their employees a single place to turn for all their health and benefit needs. They have a network of nurses, doctors, pharmacists, behavioral health specialists, and their platform uses machine learning to connect people with the right recommendations to both lower costs and produce better outcomes. So far, so good, right? The idea is that Accolade can build a relationship with people and guide them to making smart decisions, like getting their annual physical. Please do that while steering them away from wasteful spending like unnecessary emergency room vehicles visits. And too many people do that, as anyone who's been to one can tell. I can definitely see the appeal of this. The American healthcare system is ridiculously difficult to navigate, even when you have good insurance. Having a one-stop shop digital health assistant that also helps you figure out your benefits is exactly what we need. So maybe it's no wonder that the analysts tend to love this thing. They've got a bunch of buy recommendations on Accolade. According to Needham, fast growth brokerage, this company is barely scratching the surface of its total addressable market. We call that the TAM. This spring, they had roughly 100 customers representing over 2 million members. And that's just 0.5% of the market when we're talking employers who cover their own health insurance costs. Now, Needham believes that Accolade can grow at a 40% clip or faster long term with rising gross margins. Well, that is the epitome of what we're looking for. Well, no wonder there are 12 analysts who cover the thing. Every single one of them has a buy on the stock. Speaking of sponsorship, Accolade is also beloved by Kathy Wood and her team at ARK Invest. They're great at identifying turbocharged growth stocks, although they've got a, a bad habit of doubling down when the market turns against growth. How much does Wood like Accolade? Well, how about this? ARK Investor is the top shareholder. They own more than 8% of the business. Statement. But despite all the sponsorship, Accolade stock, well, let's just say it's been a... That's right, a real dog since it peaked at $55 over the summer, and it's since pulled back to under 39 When I see a stock floundering, even though it's universally loved by the analysts and also by the highest-profile growth manager of our year, i got to tell you, it doesn't inspire my confidence. So what the heck happened to Accolade? What's going on here? See, when this company came public in July of 2020, the IPO market had just reopened after a few months of being frozen during the worst period of the pandemic. And no one wanted to come public then. Stock price at 22, then immediately jumped to 35 at the opening. So that's a really big jump, although it pulled back to close just under 30. Still a huge win for anyone who got in on the deal, right? Accolade then delivered some strong, almost spectacular earnings right out of the gate. But then they did an early secondary offering that interrupted the stock's momentum. However, it finally broke out last December as part of a temporary growth stock renaissance. Unfortunately, every time we get a rotation out of growth names, Accolade gets thrown into the meat grape grinder. I mean, it's just it's like the first one they throw away, which is why it plunged from 55 in July down to 40 a week and a half ago. Then the company reported a less than stellar quarter, and the stock briefly tumbled to the mid-30s before bouncing to roughly 39, thanks to last week's explosive market-wide rally. So that's the trajectory as I see it. There are two problems with Accolade, and they're not small problems. First, the healthcare technology cohort has gone out of style in the Wall Street fashion show, as anybody knows who owns these stocks. More broadly, the market has turned against fast-growing companies with no earnings. Last year, these stocks were beloved. But now they're greeted with great skepticism. 
At a time of aggressive inflation, and we know that that's true, and rising interest rates, Wall Street tends to lose interest in growth stories that are all about how much money a company can make many years down the road. I mentioned that at the top of the show. Those future earnings are simply less valuable if they're going to be eroded by inflation. This typically involves technology companies. Here we're talking about health tech. Even within the growth universe, health tech has been particularly ugly. Remember some of these? Teladoc, remember that one? It's almost been cut in half since we learned about the merger with Livongo a little over a year ago. And Teladoc's actually the good telemedicine play. Amwell's done much worse. Amwell's down 66% year to date. Then you've got the new age managed care providers with some kind of tech angle. I mean, have you seen this Oscar Health? This thing came public at 39 in March. It now trades at less than 15. Or how about One Medical, which is kind of a lower cost concierge health service? with a stock that's down more than 50% for the year. You need a concierge health service when you got a stock that's down 50%. That is just plain terrible. <laughs> Last but not least, there's the one that's most reminiscent of Accolade. I'm talking about ShareCare. Now, this is another former SPAC name with a stock that's now trading at 6 bucks and change. Hey, we spoke to the CEO a week and a half ago. Darn thing's already down 16%. I, I thought he had a decent story. I, I, I did. Of course, the, the health tech names can still make a comeback. But if you buy Accolade here, let's just say the trend is not your friend. Which brings you to the second issue, Accolade's performance. So far this year, they've made two sizable acquisitions. Second MD, which is an expert medical opinion play. Second MD. And then Plush Care, which does virtual health care, specifically primary care and mental health. Together, they spent roughly $900 million in these two deals, with each having a large stock component. Wall Street rarely likes that kind of thing, and the stock has been weighed down since these announcements. My view, I think April 2021 was probably not the best time to get into the telemedicine business. Now, it doesn't help that shortly after they finished buying Second MD, Accolade started giving more cautious guidance. For the first few quarters after coming public, they gave you solid beat and raise numbers. But beginning in May, management's gotten into the habit of more disappointing forecasts. On top of that, the actual earnings per share numbers, more accurately, the losses per share are looking increasingly ugly. Sell, sell, sell. So I need to see more stabilization from Accolade's numbers before I stick my neck out on this one. Oh. Especially with the stock trading at roughly 11 times sales, not earnings. And that is not cheap. If you really want a good health tech play, I go with this good RX. You know, we like them. That's a pharmaceutical coupon service that's now got its own virtual care operations. Also, a benefits program for employers and a very good app that I downloaded and I like. Good RX has fast growth, but it's also got the uh, added advantage of being profitable. I also like Doximity. That's that LinkedIn for doctors. Triple digit growth rate, especially now that the red hot stocks pull way back from its recent highs. Finally, look, if you just want to sleep at night, how about United Health UNH? Just reported a complete and total blowout quarter. They got a terrific data division on top of their core insurance business, Optum. Wow, that division is worth the whole, sometimes it's worth the whole company. Bottom line, don't try to be a hero and call the bottom an accolade. It's too risky in a market that's hostile to health tech. I'd much rather stick to higher quality names like GoodRx, Fast Growth Doximity, or if you want something tried and true, go with United Health. Stick with Kramer. Coming up, is the cloud cohort ready to open up for sunny days ahead? Kramer gets to the bottom of a group that's looking tops. Next. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. 
At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is Constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Last week, practically the whole market exploded higher, but that's an unusual paradoxical situation. Normally, you see strength in particular leadership groups, and those groups are often mutually exclusive. If tech is leaders higher, that means the cyclicals, the stocks that are very sensitive to the economy, will lag behind, and vice versa. That's been the way it's been for years. So what's the next group to take the mantle of leadership then? Tonight, we're going off the charts with the help of Tim Collins. He's a brilliant technician who writes for RealMoney.com. I've known him for ages. I wanted to answer this question with him. Based on the charts, Collins thinks that this could be a beautiful moment for some of your favorites, the fast-growing cloud stocks. And if he's right, we could be looking at a market led by tech. That's not something many people are expecting. I don't want to be led by oil. Some people think it could be led by the industrials, but not this kind of cloud tech. In particular, he likes, well, there's one that's really come into favor that was out of favor for a long time. It's called Snowflake. That's a high-flying data analytics uh, stock. And then ServiceNow, the cloud king, helps business automate all sorts of information technology and back office jobs. As I explained at the top of the show, fast-growing tech stocks usually don't work at times when Wall Street's terrified of inflation, as they are now. Perhaps we have to make an exception for the labor-saving, productivity-driven software stocks, like those that allow businesses to save money on rising wages by making lots of jobs redundant. So what can we learn from the action in Snowflake? That's that company Frank Slootman runs I like so much, Fast Grower, ServiceNow, that's uh, Bill McDermott's company. Let's start with a weekly chart of Snowflake. After a rough spring, Collins points out that Snowflake's been having just a a, a bad year, with the stock enjoying an orderly climb from the low 200s to the mid 300s. Very quiet, by the way. Ever since tech bottomed in mid-May, Snowflake's given you a nice pattern of higher highs and higher lows, which is exactly the kind of action the chartists love to see. The kind of action that indicates you've got a healthy rally on your hands. It's very healthy. At first glance, Collins thinks that the Snowflake's trading in a pretty well, well-defined Channel, clear, right? And the channel tells him you should be a buyer around 310 and a seller around 355. With the stock in the 330s, we're right smack dab in the middle of the range, and it would almost seem like you got to get ready to sell. However, there's something else that caught Collins' eye here. It's what's going on with an indicator that we've never talked about. It's known as the parabolic stop and reverse. Parabolic stop 
and reverse. You see the gray areas of the chart? They're pretty faint, but maybe you can make them out. That area shows you what's going on with the parabolic stop and reverse, or PSAR for short. Whenever the stock goes above the shaded areas, the PSAR is considered bullish. When it's within the shaded areas, that's bearish. You can see within is bearish, goes up, bullish. As Snowflake's rallied off its May lows, an interesting pattern has emerged. The PSAR will spike in a given session, okay? Uh, it's by just a single week, a bear signal. But then the stock will break down. The PSR will pull back until it gives you a bullish reading again. And then the rally resumes. We've seen this three times now to the point where it's happening nearly once a month. If the pattern holds, Collins can see Snowflake not being contained at 355, but maybe running above that. It may be even 360 before it runs into a ceiling of resistance, possibly pulls back again. He's betting it gets here before Thanksgiving. Longer term, so long as the Nasdaq doesn't totally fall apart, though, Collins thinks the snowflake can break above 400 because of this pattern. And that's actually a pretty fabulous move when you think about it. He recommends buying this one and holding on to it. Although, yeah, you got the usual uh, ca- uh, caveat that a technician has. Uh, he says you can buy more on pullback as long as it doesn't break down below its floor support at 310, which would obviously be pretty negative. Next up, I want you to check out the weekly chart of another stock I really like, ServiceNow. As Collins sees it, this one is even more blatantly positive than Snowflake. Why? Because ServiceNow has recently pulled back a bit from its highs after an epic run higher. And that pullback has created what's known as a flag pattern. See that? Now, a flag pattern is also called a continuation pattern. And it means that after consolidating, a stock is likely to resume its march higher. When you get a continuation pattern, it's important to look at the trend that's supposed to continue. Collins points out that before the consolidation period, ServiceNow was making a nice and steady move higher, bouncing along above its floor support. Then in August, pow! This explosion to the upside. However, over the past few weeks, ServiceNow has gotten hit with an orderly pullback. That's right here. Okay, creating a series of lower highs and lower lows. That's important. Uh, for a few weeks, the stock was caught in a fairly tight channel, and that channel was trending lower. But when the whole market roared last week, ServiceNow was one of the ones that I really saw, really paid attention to, because it broke out of that unusually bad channel for this stock. So the previous ceiling of resistance has now become a new floor of support. See, that was the ceiling, and now that's the floor. Now the stock's at 666. Ooh, sign of the devil. But wait a second, where can it go from here? Collins points out that there's a new resistance level around 680, which is ServiceNow's previous all-time high. Collins thinks it might need to make a couple of pushes before it can uh, clear the hurdle at 680. If the stock tries and fails to break out, then he's expecting a pullback, maybe down to 630, 650. He won't start getting nervous until it breaks down below 610. At that point, he'd back away until it sinks to the mid-500s. I'd be plenty nervous if it got anywhere near there. But as long as ServiceNow can hold above its current support level, Collins believes that it's headed higher. That continuation pattern is so important. Even if it takes a couple of tries before it breaks out above 680. Once that happens, though, he thinks it'll be 750 smooth sailing. And I agree with him. I think that this company is having a terrific quarter. Terrific. Here's the bottom line. The charts interpreted by Tim Collins suggest that some of the fast-growing cloud stocks like ServiceNow and Snowflake are ready to roar. I think it makes sense. These are labor-saving software companies that can keep working even if the rest of tech somehow falls out of favor because of inflation. Let's go to Mary Ellen in New York. Mary Ellen. Hi. How are you? I am good. How are you, Mary Ellen? I'm doing great, thanks. What do you got? Um, I'm calling regarding the IBM stock. As you know, a lot of it is turning into Kindrel, right? And right. I worked for IBM, and I'm since not there anymore with resource actions, et cetera. 
and I have a lot of stock in it, obviously. Right. So I'm just wondering what your best advice is for me. Should I sell it all and get out? No, no, no. I mean, I know there was a very negative. Look, first of all, congratulations, Scott Wapner, on 10th anniversary. Uh, There was a a very negative analyst, uh, a very negative uh, hedge fund manager, Jim Chanos, talking about IBM, saying that there were a lot of things that were wrong with it. I happen to think that IBM is doing a lot of things right. Uh, but I understand that uh, that somebody might say that Arvin Christian is just doing some financial engineering, spinning off one division, uh, bulking up another. But I think that they've got a very good hybrid cloud strategy, and I'm not a, I'm not a, a, I'm not a disbeliever. How about that? Let's go to Lou in California. Lou. Hi, Jim. I've been a fan of yours for over 20 years. Uh, I first saw you as Reverend Jim Bob on the Church of What's Working Now. Indeed. That's on Squawk. Yeah, the late the late Mark Haynes. Absolutely. Yeah, I miss him. My question regarding Skyworks, you've had a segment a while ago on the 5G stocks, all of which have done extremely well. The Skyworks is off more than 20% from its all-time high. What's going on? Well, I think that people feel that Skyworks is too cell phone-centric. I think it's made acquisitions. I think it's trying to get beyond that. I actually think it's that... Uh, I have to say, I think I, I, I think that you can buy Skyworks here. I think William Griffin's going to do a very good job. I like the stock very much. Okay, tonight's charter says that Snowflake and ServiceNow could be ready to take off. And I think that makes a ton of sense. Okay, much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with Deluxe. How has the company expanded from paper checks to being the technology assistant on 4 million small businesses? And why is the stock doing so poorly of late? Let's talk to the CEO. Then the housing industry is starting to show some cracks in the foundation. I'll reveal what I'm seeing and why the latest headlines, I think you'd call them disconcerting. And Oreo calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. to popular belief, you can teach an old dog new tricks. Take the Lux, DLX. Here's a company that used to be primarily a check printing play, but it's about as outdated as it gets, right? But in recent years, they transformed their business into more of a financial technology story. The new Deluxe has a payments business, a data and cloud services business, a promotional product unit, and their old legacy check operation, which now accounts for just a third of their company's sales, but has huge cash flow. As I see it, Deluxe is one part fintech, one part small business enabler, and one part vendor for financial institutions. The transformation continues. Earlier this year, they announced a really important acquisition, First American Payment Systems, for 960 million, getting more of that electronic payments exposure. However, since the transaction closed over the summer, stock's actually down 18%. It's a point where it's now selling for less than eight times earnings. Uh, and I've got to tell you, it's valued only at $1.6 billion. They just spent 900 so we've got to figure out, is this an incredible bargain? Maybe I'm missing something. Let's check in with Barry McCarthy, the president and CEO of Deluxe Corp, to get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. McCarthy, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim, great to be with you. Okay, so Barry, you spent $960 million on a company that I think really does make it so that you're in front of a lot of potential, very good customers, small and medium-sized business, and yet your company's still valued at $1.6 billion as if you didn't do anything. Now, I know it's up 30% for the year, but what are people missing about the new Deluxe? You know, Jim, in the opening, I think you were really clear about what the new Deluxe is really all about. It's becoming, and we are, a trusted payments and business technology company. And with the first American acquisition, our payments business now rivals our check business for scale. 
and we have an incredibly great footprint and well-positioned for accounts receivable, accounts payable, and small business cash management. And we just think the market has yet to catch up to our story, and we're working on that. All right. So well, let's talk about your largest business. This is from the, the CL King Best Ideas Conference. The biggest business we have, the one we're most excited about, is our data business. In this business, we help banks help identify their next customer. How do you help a bank identify its next customer? You know, first of all, Jim, actually our biggest business that we're most excited about is our payments business that is focused on digitizing electronic payments for B2B, for accounts receivables, accounts payable, uh, and digital disbursements, as well as for small business cash management. But in our cloud-based business, we do have a data business there that we're very proud of that helps uh, financial institutions identify their next customer to target. Our very advanced AI tools ingest a variety of different sources of data to turn out a quality, high-converting lead list for financial institution. So they know where to target their marketing dollars to acquire that next customer. So give me a sense. I mean, is it uh, restaurants? Is it hardware stores? Is it uh, travel and leisure? I'm trying to figure out where those leads are. Or is it in wealthy individuals? So it can be all of the above. So the lead list that we create depend on the request or the demand from the financial institution. Sometimes it's for consumers, for a credit card or for a deposit account or CDs. Sometimes it's for small businesses. The program and the data that we have, the tools that we have, help target those customers very tightly so that the the FI knows who to target market to. Okay, now, we have a number of companies, including one that just came public recently called Toast. We've got a company called Lightspeed. These are, in the com- these are companies that do point of sale. Uh, I'm trying to figure out where your company fits in in terms of point of sale. Are you reselling uh, uh, Clover? Is that the one that you represent? You know, Clover is a terrific device, but we actually represent different devices. What we, what we offer is a comprehensive solution for small business. So, for example, we have a scaled HR and payroll solution that really targets the low end of the market that isn't occupied or isn't chased very hard by the biggest players. We now combine that with the credit card acceptance from First American by Deluxe, and we have a really compelling offer for small businesses. It's a giant market, as you well know, Jim, with great secular growth trends. And First American is really well positioned in a variety of segments. And uh, we are, we're leveraging those for growth already. So if everything goes right, say, this time next year, will you expect accelerated revenue growth from your business? We do. And, you know, here's the simple envelope math, Jim, on the First American acquisition. Deluxe supports about 4 million small businesses. First American has about 150,000 small businesses. First American has about 120 or 130 bank partners. Deluxe has about 4,000 bank partners. So if we're just a little bit successful at bringing the first American suite of solutions to our existing customer base, we have an opportunity to help that business grow remarkably. At the same time, checks never really went away, right? There are many uses for checks that, that people like that have, that have advantages over credit cards. You know what? I think you're right. But we have never said the checks are a growth business, but checks are sure a great cash flow generating machine. And the durability of that cash flow through the COVID crisis proved itself to be true. We've also been able to grow market share in the check business, which has helped slow that secular decline for our business. And actually, in the second quarter of this year, we posted growth in the check business. But you're absolutely right. 
that the use cases for check, especially around business to business payments, there are no viable substitutes. So those checks are going to be around for a very long time, which is great news for cash flow generation for Deluxe and for Deluxe shareholders. Well, well, I look forward to seeing uh, all these businesses uh, have more cash flow and a growth rate excel- growth accelerate, because I do think that your stock at $1.6 billion, uh, in market caps is an oddity, let's say, versus what you just paid for a very good company. I want to thank uh, Barry McCarthy, President and CEO of Deluxe. Good to see you, sir. Great to be with you, too, Jim. Thanks. May have money. will be back in Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The Lightning Round is next. It is time. It's over the Lightning Round. And then the Lightning Rounds are, are you ready? Ski dad, have the Lightning Round. Let's start with John and Michigan. John. Booyah from Michigan, Jim. Booyah back. The stock I'm asking about is uh, CVM. They recently published their phase three data on Multikine, and uh, they put out two treatment arms, and uh, only one was good. Do you think they'll get FDA approval? Look, all I can tell you is that these companies just have nine lives, these immunotherapy companies. And in the end, one of the big drug companies tends to buy them because they need growth. Let's go to Jason in California. Jason. Booyah, Jim. How you doing? What's going on? Endeavor is about to acquire OpenBet. What are your thoughts on Endeavor? I, I thought OpenBet is a good idea, and they got a good price. Now, Endeavor is my agent, so let's take it with a grain of salt. But the company doesn't seem to – the stock is, seems inexpensive, and there is a return to, uh, to entertainment. So I think that is good. I like betting, too, in general. A lot of people feel it's gotten too crowded. Let's go to Anthony Vermont. Anthony. Hey, Jim. Hi, Anthony. How you doing? Okay. How about you? Very well. I'm curious to get your take on uh, community health, ticker CYA. Everybody seems uh, to always want to buy community health or tenant when they really should be buying HCA, which I think, once again, is going to blow away the numbers. Doug in California. Doug. Yes, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, my uh, pleasure, Doug. I'm What's calling? up? Okay. The reason I'm calling, Jim, is a few months ago, I took the big position in Zoom Info Technology at 42. Yeah. The reason I'm calling today is because I, I want to know what you know about the company and is it is is it a buy, a hold, or a sell? That's, Thank you, Jim. You know, and look, I think these are all companies look, to, uh, to me, a lot like Salesforce. Okay? There's a bunch of them look just like Salesforce, and a lot of them are good, and Zoom Info is good. Uh, I don't know. I, me, I'm a Salesforce guy. It's what my travel trust owns. And if you follow what we are doing in the CNBC Investment Club, you will know why I like Salesforce more than any of these companies. Can we go to Joe, Joel in Pennsylvania? Joel. Hey, Jim. How are you? I am uh, good. How are you? Good. Uh, can you can you explain your thoughts on the stock Mogul, M-O-G-O? You know, FinTech, free credit score. You know what that says to me? Intuit, the one you should be in is I-N-T-U. They don't miss quarters. They keep coming on. They do a fantastic job. That's the one I want you in is Intuit. Let's go to Alexander in California, please. Alexander. Jimmy Chill. Oh, the chill man in the house. What's happening? Hey, uh, I had a question uh, in regards to a stock, uh, ticker symbol B-N-G-O. Controversial. Okay. 
I mean, this is one of those stocks. I mean, the volume is such that it makes me feel like it's a meme stock. If I say something bad about it, the people who are in it are going to say, Jim, you don't know it. I will tell you this. It's big spec. It's all there's to it. It's a giant speculation biotech. And if you want to be in one of those, it could go down 50%. It could be up 50%. Can we go to Paul of Massachusetts? Paul. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Big question. Big question for you. So um, I've been treading water a little with uh, Blade, BLDE. Love the company. Love Kathy Wood, who I know is behind it. Wanted to get uh, well, your we, opinion. We, we praised it. We did a piece about it. I've used it. I think it's a terrific service. Yes, I paid for it, unless anyone think I didn't. But this is what really matters, okay? This stock is so stuck because its cohort is stuck. If Blade were just an IPO, I'm telling you this thing would be at 15, 16 bucks. But it isn't, and therefore it just is very hard to get off the schneid, even as I think a lot of people feel it's got a very good business model. Can I go to Sharif in Ohio, please? Sharif. Hey, how you doing, Jim? I'm doing well. How about you? Um, I'm doing well as well. So my stock was Butterfly Network, and I'm... This is another one. I mean, what if, you know, this is another one. They, got a, a, they have machines that work that are, so, uh, you know, the kind of the solar stuff that's... It's not working. What can I say? It's just not working. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, is the housing sector quaking on a shaky foundation? Kramer heeds the warning signs to help make your portfolio safe at home. Next. You want to know what I am worried about? I'm worried about housing. There are signs that housing is starting to crack, and that would be a huge problem as the industry is far too important to our economy. Now, regular viewers viewers know I've been pretty optimistic about both the home builders and housing in general. As prices zoom higher and mortgage rates remain low, I think housing is a pretty good buy. But this morning, we got a squib from Bloomberg about how Zillow and e-commerce real estate play had got into the business of flipping homes is now pausing that business. Because they're, and I'm going to quote here, beyond operational capacity. Beyond operational capacity. Isn't that a cryptic statement? I mean, it could mean they've got too much inventory and can't move it fast enough. Or it could mean they're having technical difficulties finding more homes that they can flip quickly. When I saw that, you know what I did? I checked in with Ivy Zellman. She's the best housing analyst in America. And her numbers showed that there's real weakness developing in housing in general. The inputs are pretty much all bad, and they're staggering, frankly. New home orders turned down this summer. The cost of everything that goes into a home has skyrocketed. Orion Strandboard, a.k.a. Plywood's up 140%. Installation's up 25%. Flooring up 21%. Ceiling up 18%. Roofing, 16%. Windows, 15%. Labor, 10 to 25%. Meanwhile, the lead times, as you've seen, if you've done any remodeling at your house, they're insane. 88% above average. Cabinets are taking six to eight months. They used to take three months. Roofing's at 12 to 16 week. Wait, I, that's up from two to three weeks. Siding, eight to 10 weeks, up from one to two. Insulation used to take two weeks, down seven. Most devastating the weight appliance for appliances. Now, get this. Appliances have gone from two weeks to seven or eight weeks. Wow. So you're trying to build a house, but you're selling it without appliances? These numbers tell me that everything, housing, is getting precarious. Home builders are paying off for land and selling homes at ever higher prices, yet they can't keep costs down or get the materials they need in a timely manner. No wonder Zillow made one out. They buy homes, fix them up, and then try to flip them. Maybe that's not a viable strategy when the input costs have soared, and the lead time is being you're sitting on those homes as you fix them up for many more months longer than you planned. 
Someone points out that many markets are simply too hot. Write these down. Phoenix, Boise, Austin, Dallas, Atlanta, the Carolinas. Demand is so great there that the home builders are furiously trying to build housing to keep up. That's often a dangerous sign, though. Now, some of the builders want us to believe that the industry is in secular growth mode, that there's nothing transient about all this demand. And you know what? If mortgage rates stay low, I'm with them. I think housing can stay strong, even if prices keep climbing. Many areas are dramatically under-homed in this country. But if interest rates, heaven forbid, start rising rapidly, then I think we can get a housing glut, maybe all over the place, which would be real bad news for the economy. Although at least we no longer have to worry about those long lead times. We're already seeing signs that things are headed in the wrong direction. you got Rocket and UWM Holdings, the two giant mortgage operations. They've seen their stocks slide, even though business has been fine. That suggests investors are feeling discouraged about the future. Maybe it's a sign that prices have come up too far too fast, and we're finally running out of new buyers. Uh, if those buyers start vanishing while the home builders keep putting up more houses and interest rates go higher, then you will see a nasty decline in housing prices. Now, I don't think it'll be anything like Great Recession. Markets have much better balance sheets these days. However, a large number of homes have been bought by private investors. And those investors could be really hurt if they all try to sell at once, which, of course, would accelerate the downturn. My view. When Ivy Zellman's worried, you should be worried. Hey, by the way, she's written this terrific new book, Gimme Shelter. But what matters is that she's got a spectacular track record. Right now, Zellman's calling for a steep decline in housing. That is not good. Now, I was hoping we could sidestep anything close to real estate collapse, and she'd be the first to admit that some regions are doing quite well. But the Zillow news, I call it disconcerting. It's got me thinking that it's time to turn a bit more bearish on housing than I've been. Oh, I'm not where Zellman is yet, not not by any means. But the setup's growing more dangerous as long-term interest rates creep higher. How about this? Time to be cautious. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.